Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that looks at all forms of transport from the humble bike through to a rocket-powered spaceship. I'm David Brown. This week we have three interviews recorded in non-studio conditions, but they're all very interesting. Two of the interviews are from people we met at the car and coffee show at the St Ives showground. The first is a gentleman with a 1950s Australian car, and it's certainly not a Holden. The second is about a prestige Mercedes, but the owner also has a very diverse range of motoring experiences. And finally, we chat with the preeminent breakfast radio announcer from our home station about his first car and how he would have added a motoring theme to the coronation. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or our social pages, Facebook and Instagram, and just search for sites named Cars Transport Culture. This program was originally broadcast on the 13th of May 2023. Last Sunday, Fred and I popped along to the Cars and Coffee Show at the St Dives Showground. They hold it each month, and there was a particularly good turnout this time. I recorded a few interviews in the noisy environment. The first was the owner of a wonderful old open-top sports car in a rich green colour. It had big flared guards and skinny tyres, but it did look a bit familiar. Its owner, Reese had a wonderful story to tell about this vehicle, whose exterior was a copy of an exotic car from Britain, and a small number were produced here in Australia with bits and pieces from a wide range of vehicles. It's a 1957 Buchanan. Buchanan, I don't know it much. Well, Buchanan, that's Nat Buchanan. He had a workshop in Annandale, and when his mate Tom Sulman crashed his Aston Martin DB3S at Mount Druitt in about 1956, when the body was off, Buchanan took a mould off it, and he made a, a body and put it onto a racing car which uh, went pretty well. So everyone, or a lot of people said, oh, can I have one of them? So he started building the bodies. Most of them went on to MGs uh, of various sorts. They also went on to anything and everything, Austin A40s, Ford 10s, you name it. Anyone who wanted a sports car would get a chassis out of something and a Buchanan body. They also went on to Triumphs. He must have made a few. They're about 150 made all told, originally by Buchanan himself, and then the moulds went down to, I think it was JNS at Brookvale. Did he ever get any copyright issues if you were no. copying the mould from something else? Well, he changed the front slightly. <laughs> um, but Aston Martin didn't know. And in fact, they tried to build a fiberglass body and it was an abject failure. So, so how long have you had it? Oh, a few years. Um, and what's under the bonnet? It's a Holden. It's a Rizzo chassis. That's Arthur Rizzo made his name racing Rileys and building chassis. He made a number of special racing chassis. And this is one of his chassis. He made about six or seven for Buchanan's. It's a, a simple ladder frame welded to the front cross member. He used either an MG front cross member or an FJ Holden front cross member. And this is one with the FJ Holden front cross member. So it's got a grey Holden engine. This one's got a Volvo gearbox, a very early little got Volvo gearbox and a Holden rear axle. So it's all uh, very simple mechanically. And it's very light, only weighs about 750 kilos, so it gets along pretty well. 
Um, it was originally built in Queensland. Supposedly, then it had a GT roof put on it, a fastback GT roof. Whether it raced or not, I don't know. The bloke who owned it in 1969 believed it had, but I haven't been able to find any evidence of it. And it went through a number of hands and uh, the GT roof was cut off in the 70s or 80s and into the 90s. And then um, a chap bought it to build a sort of an Aston Martin special. I think he had an Aston Martin engine. And then he got some more Aston Martin bits and decided to build a, an all Aston Martin special. So he cut this up to some extent to use as a template for his Aston Martin. And uh, when he finished with that, uh, I got hold of it and put it all back together again. <laughs> so you did a lot of work yourself? Yes, I had to repair the body. The chassis was pretty good. Um, it was mainly a matter of putting the body back together and putting all the um, firewall and everything back in, which he'd cut out as part of the conversion to, or using it as a template to make his Aston Martin DB3S reproduction. What do you do? use it for now? Oh, I, I use it when I need to drive around and um, an occasional little speed events. There's a vintage sports car club has uh, sprints at Cootamundra once a year and I drive down there and give it a run and drive home again and I've driven down to Goulburn and Maroolan to run at the circuits there and driven home again. So I can drive down to Goulburn, have a run and drive home again in a day. Turn some heads. Oh yes, it's well it's in lovely shape being the Aston Martin originally. So um, yeah. it, it has very thin tyres on it. That's yes. the nature of the day I guess. Yes, that's true, but um, I had to get 15-inch wheels because I couldn't get 16-inch wheels to bolt on. Um, the Aston Martin originally had 16-inch wheels, so you need big wheels to fill the mudguards nicely. They're 15-inch wheels. And when I built it, I wasn't sure about clearance on the rear mudguards, so I put the t smallest tyres I could get. But I found that there is sufficient clearance, and they're 135s. It could fit 145s or 165s which would be a bit better, but I'll just have to wear them out first. It's got one of those lovely big boat steering wheels, hasn't it? Oh, oh yes, yes, you've got to have a, that sort of period style. They look nice of the period, so... Yeah. Yeah. And how many speed gearbox? Oh, it's a four-speed box, mm. just a simple little four-speed box. And uh, is there a market for these? Not that it matters, but I mean, is, well, I is there... Well, it was because I need to sell it to make room for another project in my garage. Which is? Oh, it's a 1924 Sunbeam. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's lovely. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. You're listening to Overdrive. Our second interview was the proud owner of a wonderfully big Mercedes limousine from the 60s. Very rounded features. It was long and had four doors but had no centre B pillar. How it didn't end up bending in the middle, I have no idea. The owner, Ray, had had a very eclectic experience with cars over the years. Ray, what is the car you've brought here? It's a W189 1960 300D Mercedes. Hmm. How long have you had it? Since 2018. Okay. What? Why? Uh, 2008, sorry, not 18, 2008. Yeah, when I retired, I wanted something, and I was always interested in cars, so 
Uh, I saw this at the Mercedes-Benz Concours in 2008 and I found out who the owner was and he said, yeah, he'd sell it to me because he already had three of them. <laughs> <laughs> and he was the president of the Mercedes-Benz Club. Oh, okay. So I bought it off him in 2008. Okay. <laughs> had you had uh, classic cars before then? No, only back in my younger days when I had 327 Monaros, the first oh. of the Monaro, oh. and GT Falcons. My mate who comes here races a 350 Monaro. Oh, right. I'll yeah. have, to have to introduce you. Yeah, yeah, no, mine was a Warwick Yellow 327. Oh. Yeah, and uh, then I had an XT GT Falcon. And, uh, this is a, a leap back into prestige. <laughs> well, you get older and you, and you change a bit, don't you? You lose all that rev head stuff. And I was always involved in speedway and oh, really? drag boat racing. Oh. We had the fastest drag boat in our class. It had run 156 mile an hour in seven seconds in 400 metres. Good God. Yeah, big blowing Chev engine in it. Yeah, I think it still holds the record for its class, and that's going back quite a while now. Hey, you're a revhead. Oh, I was in the days, yes. Always involved with the speedway at Sydney Showground. Huh? My mates used to rate speedway, and I'd, of course, I was a motor mechanic back in those days, and I used to do all the tuning on their old grey Holden engines, six-cylinder Holden engines we used to run in the midgets those days, and... And we were the only ones that ran three SUs. Everybody else used to ring, run Solex, carburetors. And when we turned up with the SUs, everybody laughed at us. But always push start, no starter motors in them. And we could push start it in about 10 feet and it'd start. But everybody else was being pushed by the Jeeps around the racetrack to start them. When I left school, I went and worked for Lorem as a Gordon on all BMC. You know, Morris Miners and Wolseleys and Rileys and all that stuff. So I knew SUs really well. Do you bring this out often? Only for events like I come here now and then, not every hmm. month, but if the club has a drive somewhere or we have coffee and cars sometimes with the club, just club events. And then if there's nothing on, I always take it out once a month and just give it about a 10, 15 kilometre run around the block. Yeah. What sort of engine has it got? Three litre, six cylinder overhead cam, fuel injection. Fuel injection back in the 60s? Yeah, yeah. And these were the first automatic Mercedes. How many gears? Three. Three speed Borg Warner gearbox, not a Mercedes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you'll keep it for a while? Oh, yeah, I've got no intentions in getting rid of it. Mm. Yeah. So. Do people look at you and wave? Oh, yeah, yeah. I used to. A couple of friends, uh, their daughters got married and I'd help them out and did the weddings for them. And, of course, the attention you get when you've got the ribbons on and a bride in the car, everybody's waving and blowing their horns at you. Yeah. It's a perfect wedding car. Yeah, 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 really good. Ray, thank you. It's OK. Thanks a lot. Nice to talk to you. You're listening to Overdrive. If you want to see pictures of these two cars that we saw at the St Ives Motor Show, go to our social pages, Facebook or Instagram, and just look for Cars Transport Culture. You're listening to Overdrive. Ford has announced that the order books are now open for their all-electric Mustang Mach-E. Traditional Mustang fans will be surprised, not only because it's an all-electric vehicle, but also it looks nothing like the famous historical sports coupe. 
The new Mustang Mach-E will come in three models, Select, Premium and GT. The Select comes with a 71 kilowatt hour battery paired with a single electric motor with 198 kilowatts and 430 Nm and Ford is aiming for around 470 kilometers of range. The Premium comes with a 91 kilowatt hour battery, 216 kilowatts and 430 Nm to the rear wheels and an estimated 600 kilometer range which if this eventuates is excellent. The top spec GT model pairs a 90 kilowatt hour battery with two electric motors, one on each axle, for a combined total output of 358 kilowatts and 860 newton meters, and an estimated sub 4 second 0 to 100 km an hour time. Details on how to order, pricing and deposits etc can be found on the Ford website. This is a Motoring Minute, I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. Each week on the day before Overdrive goes to air, I have the honour and privilege of being able to promo what's coming up on the program with Australia's preeminent breakfast announcer on Community Radio Station 99.3. The Honourable Bruce Potter now graces us with his presence. Okay, Bruce. How are you doing, David? I'm absolutely flattered. And in this coronation month, I suppose that's probably a good thing. Well, I'm glad that you're back. and no doubt you were invited. Oh, look, I, I tried to keep it uh, low-key, you know. I mean, I don't think Sandy Land's got an invite, you see, so um, I was very pleased to accept. It really was. <laughs> We've been talking and asking people about their first car. You and I have some commonality in that area. What was your first vehicle? Oh, you're going to love this. It was a, uh, it was a convertible Morris Minor. Oh. Absolutely fabulous. Black in colour. Uh, a car that my father sourced through the family, obviously, as most of our dads did. And uh, it was just the apple of my eye. Was this the Morris Minor with the headlights down by the grill or up on the mudguards? No, no, down, down on the grill, down on the grill, yes. This is the first, the Series MM. Yes, I believe so, I believe so, yep. First conceived in 1941, but the war was on, so they kept it secret in a way. They didn't tell everyone because they're doing things for the war. The project was codenamed Mosquito. I think I can see why. <laughs> When Lord Nuffield saw the car for the first time, he didn't like it. He thought it looked like a poached egg. You know what? I think he's possibly on the money. But then again, I love my little poached egg. I really did. I did. And the convertible. My first car was a Morris Minor. Mine was the later series, but I'm not trying to one-up you in, in that regard. <laughs> no, look, I thought, it was, I, I thought I was the, the playboy of the Sutherland Shire at this stage. Very keen uh, surf club man. I mean, you know... The girls were absolutely uh, enamoured of my uh, my uh, hair that was blowing down uh, and around. Uh, you know, I mean, it was it was pretty pretty hot stuff. You have a look now of Brian Cad, a cross between Brian Cad and no, just Brian Cad. It's uh, the long hair, somewhat uh, graying. Is that a fair reflection? Is that how I could describe you? Uh, look, I think you've done me uh, justice, actually. I, I wouldn't say grey. I'm known by my children as the silver fox or the uh, the silver mullet. Uh, I would have said af- definitely silver, David, absolutely no question. Um, I do actually know Brian Cadd, and uh, yes, I, I, I'd probably say that's a fair representation. Yes, yes. Was that whole thing of the Johnny Farnham era too, wasn't it, that sort of came in there, the mullet? Oh, of course, of course. You know, what was it? Uh, Business in the front, party in the back. It was a name that was given, of course, from a motoring sense to panel vans. <laughs> very much, very much. <laughs> but, you know, the good thing is, David, 
I can always get mine cut. Some of my bald mates, well, they go for a cut and polish this day, seeing one on an automotive bent. <laughs> you toured the streets with the top down? Indeed. I had a friend in the surf club, North Cronulla Surf Club, Harold Iron, who was nicknamed Pig Iron, obviously, good Australian uh, nickname, uh, who had um, a full-length leather coat that I think one of his uncles had brought back from the Western Desert, captured from a German officer, and an officer's cap. And he would get dressed up as Rommel and stand up in the back of the car while I had the top down and give the Rommel salute, not the Nazi salute, God no. Uh, the Rommel salute as we drove through the main street of Cronulla to the cheers of the public. You could almost become the Duke of Wessex, couldn't you? It wasn't Harry. <laughs> there was a bit of that going on, a bit of that going on, uh, but it was fabulous. At one point, I used to leave it running outside the surf club with the hope that it would be stolen so I could uh, claim insurance, but no one actually took it, David. <laughs> what was its heritage? How did you come to get it? You said it worked through the family? Yeah, look, we had a, a next-door neighbour, a charming fellow called Stan Pomeroy, who I understand was a mechanic for Peter Manton, the uh, race driver. Ah. And Dad briefed uh, Stan to find a suitable car, and he bought the car from Peter and then uh, gave it a workover. So yeah, every time it ran, r r ran roughly, I would go and see Stan, and every time that I needed replacements, George Alexander at Alexander's Spare Parts at Miranda. Uh, George used to say to me every time I walked in, this will be another no-profit job. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Manton was part of the Neptune racing team. He raced minis. Ah, well, there you go. There's the heritage right from the start. Do you know, they kept making the Morris Minor up until 1971, a decade after they brought out the Mini. You know what? I loved it. I seriously did. I had a couple of um, British uh, or BMC cars. Uh, my next car after this, I saved up for a brand new MGB Mark II. Oh. Ooh. And went to buy it at the old Vaughan Lane at Hurstville, dressed in an old football jumper and shorts as one did. Salesman looked me up and down as if I, you know, I, I shouldn't be there. And when I told him I was paying cash, there was a remarkable, remarkable attitude change. <laughs> and then later on in my advertising days, I had a fabulous Mini Moat California, which I still adored and which I still had. Oh, the Mini Moat Fantastica, uh, often used by news agents. Yes, they are indeed. You could take the top right off, and I mean, not just uh, the roof. It was like a bathtub, really, wasn't it? It was indeed, and you, you had the left or right arm throw. You know, it was always, uh, get that paper and throw it out. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. Starting with a Morris Minor, did you know Synchromesh, I presume? Nothing as grand as that, no. <laughs> You actually had to listen, and it wasn't hard to hear the engine, you had to listen to it to change gears. The, the first Morris Minor, you know we have a performance measure of 0 to 100 kilometres an hour. Back in the heyday of the 70s of the GTHO Falcon, it was about uh, six and a half seconds, but modern cars now are down to around five for some performance cars, but super performance cars are below four, including a lot of electric vehicles uh, for naught to 100. The first Morris Minor, the rating was 50 seconds plus. I think it was 50 seconds plus because you had to take extra time to find a hill to go down to reach. <laughs> very true, very true, very true. You brought all the memories back. And well, of course, you'd think uh, you, with uh, an understanding of our the heritage, British heritage, and that uh, from looking from afar, but that Charles's coronation really should have had 
more cars to it. We had an Australian entry in there in the, the first big coach. Look, I thought it should have had more of a Commonwealth feel, actually. I thought there should have been a ute in there from Australia full of uh, jackaroos, jillaroos, uh, sheep, of course, and kangaroos, mm. a Yukon sled of Mounties, beavers and, uh, and uh, <laughs> bears from Canada, of course, an Indian farm truck with 200 people hanging on on the sides, <laughs> and uh, a Jamaican bobsled on wheels. I mean, just, you know, just four examples. I mean, it would have been fabulous. Just a bit more colour, you know? Now, now let me say, we'll probably do a little tongue-in-cheek here. I, I, I don't think that we need to have the royalty as head of our government, but the, you mentioned the Commonwealth. What is it, 58 countries, some of which the British never actually colonised, to use a polite word. That's a chance, actually, to bring a lot of disparate types of cultures together. I admire Charles Rees' 18 charities, 17 of which he started. So while we may have a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, I think his big role is the Commonwealth. I think you're right, yeah. He's a great facilitator. Yeah. The trouble is he should have taken the coronation like a car launch. <laughs> I love it. Oh, what a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's got to be modern and it's got to be of the time. But he, he has the problem in that he's selling a car with features that, that a lot of people might necessarily want. Do you know what his first pedal car was? It was in the shape of an Austin A40. Gosh, he did it tough, didn't he? He really did. Well, I think he had a problem then because his brother then in the 60s got given a toy car in the shape of an Aston Martin DB5 as from the Bond movies, including rotating number plates, not quite an ejector seat. Maybe that could have been good. <laughs> I think it was his father's fault. He blames Philip for everything. I think <laughs> Philip would have done that. The first coach that he went in, we said, was built in Australia. I think it cost $4 million to, to make. To my mind, it was a little bit overdone. Yes, just a touch, just a touch. Then again, the monarchy's not known for um, subtlety, is it? Do you know that first coach has a fragment of Florence Nightingale's dress as part of the interior? I love Florence Nightingale. I think she was she was absolutely fantastic, who, who loves statistics. I don't know if your Morris Minor had any remnants of ladies' clothing in the interior. Oh, David, I couldn't uh, possibly answer that, but uh, I did at certain times, you know, purely as a uh, egalitarian measure, transport many nurses from the Sutherland Hospital around in the course of their duty. (laughs) (laughs) He has a problem in having this sort of car launch. Well, a number of things. One is a car's always got to sound right. And I think dear Prince Charles, sorry, King Charles, his great problem is he just doesn't sound right. Yes, I got you. I got you. I'm reading a, a, a definitive account of his life at the moment by a fellow called, I think it's Christopher Anderson, and he really does uh, get into it. And uh, yes, he's a strange fellow. He really is. A very uh, petulant man sometimes. And he doesn't look happy. He didn't look happy. No, 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 no. He's not happy with his lot. I think we saw a bit of it. Remember when the pen malfunctioned when he was signing yeah. something and he put on a tiz? Well, that's the way he is. He blames everyone but himself, apparently. That's that's the story in the book, and they say that it's pretty much dead to rights. 
He facilitates well, apparently, his charities, which is long-term stuff. I don't care about cutting ribbons and whatever. His long-term stuff is what I really think is uh, rather far more valid. Of course, if he had have had a coronation with the various cars, the, the problem is there's not a lot he could really reflect there on the uh, British car industry. There's not a lot left. No, there aren't really, are there? I mean, they're all owned by uh, other, other countries now. MG and uh, and uh, that is uh, is owned by someone else. Uh, even LDV, which was Leyland Daft Vans, is now owned by a Chinese company. As is Lotus. Lotus. I mean, mm. uh, are all owned by a uh, Chinese company. But he does love Aston Martins. And they're still British, aren't they? Well, they, you know, they, they, they're, they're listed on the stock exchange. They're doing a deal with Mercedes for engines and that. They're still as British as they can be, which isn't necessarily 100%. I do indeed. I do indeed. Of course, his son, um, William, left after the event, after his marriage, uh, in an Aston Martin, in his dad's Aston Martin. I believe it was worked over and made um, uh, more uh, organically uh, <laughs> acceptable. Is that true? Have you heard that? They uh, ripped the engine out and redid it? Harry left in an, in an electric E-type, I think. But I think... <laughs> That'd be Harry. Uh, I can't remember whether, someone will tell us, whether Williams, uh, the, the Aston Martin, which was his father's convertible, it was environmentally sentient, being converted to an electric vehicle. I can't remember that. I seem to think that it was, actually. I think so. Yeah, yeah, I do. But uh, a beautiful car. Gee, I'd love it. I really would. Oh, I love them. You know, of course, that was a DB5, and you know what DB stands for. Oh, David Brown. Yes, of course. David Brown Industries <laughs> bought Aston Martin in 1947, and, uh, yeah, hence uh, the thing, which, of course, had a track in the background. Of course, yes, indeed. So, so maybe that's what his parade could have been, tractors. Well, it could have been. Yes, well, that would have been something else, wouldn't it, eh? I mean, he certainly ploughed a lot of money into things, so why not? <laughs> well, the working man, you know, the, the, on the farm yeah. you know, and doing that. Oh, he's a man of the people, that child. So your first car, do you think it um, instilled in with you a certain character, the, the Morris Minor? I think so. I, th I think it, uh, it, it certainly taught me perseverance, um, <laughs> especially when it broke down. Uh, it taught me uh, thrift, um, because I spent a lot of money on it. And it taught me to aspire to something greater, because I couldn't wait to get that MGB Mark II. It was called a Morris Minor. I wonder if there's a complex there. You know, like it's the Harry thing, the spare. Could be, could be. In the old days, there was a Morris Major. Were they at an English boarding school? Indeed, here in Sydney at a private school, there were majors, minors, and minimuses. Oh. Uh, if you had three brothers at the school, that's what you refer to as, major, minor, or minimus. Oh. Uh, so I think you're possibly right. Yes, it's an old English. It's a public school thing. The thing, though, is, of course, it was called the minor, yet it did very well. I think that's the boy named Sue principle of automotive nomenclature. <laughs> Idea, idea, idea. More cash to you. <laughs> All right, mate. It's lovely to talk to you. I appreciate your time and I appreciate the opportunity to promo the program. 
Look, uh, every Friday it's become an incredibly popular Friday segment when we talk to you to find out what's on overdrive the next day on our home station. Uh, and I hope we continue to do it and we continue to have the laughs that we have. Mate, I'm sure we will. Thanks again. Thanks, David. And that's Bruce Potter, the preeminent breakfast announcer here on the home station for Overdrive 99.3 FM in Sydney. And he uh, graces us, well, allows us to be present on his show and how wonderful it is for him to grace us with his presence here. You're listening to Overdrive. Subaru has just released the all-new Crosstrek to place the ageing XV. The new Crosstrek is similar but better in every aspect. The new model comes in a choice of three petrol engine and two mild hybrid models. Both variants have the 2.0-litre boxer engine with either a 7-step CVT for the hybrid version or an 8-step Lineatronic CVT for the normal version. Both have similar power and torque outputs. All models come with the brilliant symmetrical all-wheel drive system that Subaru is famous for and the X-Mode functionality. Combine that with some 220mm of ground clearance and it's easy to see why they are so popular with the more adventurous buyers. Crosstrek also has class-leading safety features with the clever EyeSight driver assist system standard in all models. There is a huge 11.6-inch vertical multi-zone central touchscreen and little luxuries like driver monitoring, dusk-sensing LED headlights and Subaru SI Drive are all standard. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Bruce Potter, Ray and his Mercedes, Reese and his Buchanan and Mark Wesley for their great help with the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or to our socials on Facebook or Instagram. Just search for Cars Transport Culture. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.